All right, well, today we are going to open our Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, the text for us to receive today is verses 8 through 21. As we have a message today reminding us simply about the power of the Word. You know, the Bible to me, and maybe also to you, is truly fascinating. Didn't always feel that way. But ever since I was saved back in 2001, at the age of 38, I became very intrigued and very attached to the Bible. I mean, I just love every aspect of the Bible. I love the Word of God. One of my favorite things to do is just to find some quiet time, some alone time when nobody's around, and just simply pick the Bible up, maybe turn to a particular passage, and just begin to read it. Begin to read sometimes, even narrow in on one particular section like we are today, and then you begin to study it. And then begin to study it and receive it. I just love then to follow up in a time to be able to teach what I've learned from my study of that particular passage. One of the things I've liked about seminary is that sometimes it gives us that opportunity. In a busy world, we don't always have that time we can set aside, but in seminary, it just kind of demands that you make that time. In one of my doctoral classes I had last fall called Old Testament Theology, the professor demanded that we look upon the book Habakkuk. Habakkuk is only three chapters in length. But he told us, you're going to analyze each and every verse of Habakkuk. And only being three chapters, it was not lengthy to do that, but still is rewarding. Because for me, I got a chance to study. I looked at the author, the date, the key verses. And the intent was to put together a 25-page paper, which for me is hard to do because mine was 30 pages. But I love that aspect of it, to be able to study and receive it. I mean, I just love the Bible. In fact, I love the Bible so much that when I'm near someone who has a different Bible than mine, and I look at their particular Bible, I begin to covet, which is a sin, that particular Bible, thinking, I need that one. Which, in fact, I really don't need it. Because last Friday afternoon, as I was thinking about this morning, thinking about this message, in my office at home, and I have even more here, I began to look around and I thought, let me count how many I have. So I began to count. Y'all, I stopped at 30. I thought, I don't need to go any higher than that. I see a few more laying around, but I stopped at 30 because I, I just like to collect. I like to receive the Bible because I just love it so much. So in my little collection, I wanted to show you some of them I've had over the years because I've been collecting Bibles now in various translations for many different years. So I brought a small collection, because sometimes a Bible for us may be that translation that helps us understand it, and sometimes it may be a Bible we receive from a special friend or from a family member or a special occasion. So this first Bible I have is actually called the Thomas Kincaid Bible. I got this from my mom who gave it to me, and within it, it has a lot of Scripture, of course, because all the Bibles have the Scripture, but it's got a lot of pictures and stuff within here as well. And it's kind of a family Bible, but it's special to me because not only did she give it to me, but it has all these different kind of paintings and stuff in here from Thomas Kincaid, along with the scriptures. So that was a Bible I found on the shelf that I love to have. And I don't source it a lot, but I do like to have it. This Bible here 
this black one here is my first Bible ever. When I got saved, I got this Bible. And just, I mean, it's been used a lot. I mean, the cover's coming apart from the book itself. I have all these different papers in here. There's a lot of things circled and underlined and highlighted, like Sheila told the children. But this is the very first Bible I ever had when I was saved. So for me, this also is very special. Even though it's coming apart, it's still very special. So that's one. Another is this blue Bible. It's the Quest Bible. And this Bible is special to me because when I was ordained, the church in which I was attending gave this Bible to me at my ordination. And so it's also falling apart. It's been used a lot over the years. Again, it's got papers. It's got cliff notes. I'm not cliff notes, but the little notes. To, let me correctly say people's words and names the pronunciations of certain people because it's hard sometimes to get these word Hebrew name. But that's another one. Again, the cover looks messed up from front and back. It's been used a lot. But it's the first one I received when I became a pastor. So it's also special to me. This next Bible, that's the Hebrew Bible, given to me in seminary. We had to buy, we had to study the Hebrew Bible. Of course, it reads from back to front. But this is all the Hebrew. I can't read a lot of it like I used to be able to, but I still like to be able to show people I have a Hebrew Bible. And here it is. I have a 1611 King James Bible that I bought when I was in Arkansas one year on a trip. And it's got the Apocrypha in there, so this is kind of a neat little Bible, too. It's got some of the original wording in it. It's not the original Bible, mind you, but, yeah, it's a 1611 King James Version. Of course, I got to have my camouflage version of the Bible, so here it is. I get to zip it up and take it to the tree stand with me, and here it is. I got that little buddy there. And then this next little Bible is one I got protected in the little towel here because this Bible is really, really, really old. It's even older than you two guys. Yeah. This Bible is really kind of delicate. It was given to me by Colton and Kayla, and it's dated. One of the copyright dates are back to 1885 on this particular Bible. And it's, it's a family Bible for, for some where they have received it from. And it's got notes in there from some of the things pertaining to the family. It's in the King James writing, but this Bible is just un un unbelievable. And so it becomes special to me because of how it looks and the age in which it is. So this is just a small collection of some of the Bibles I have. So when I look upon someone else's and I say, I need that one, it's a matter of really don't need it. I may just want it. But that's my collection. You may have several Bibles too. But I got thinking this morning in preparation, what if the Bible was lost? What if your favorite copy, the favorite one you have of the Bible, was just lost? It was misplaced and you couldn't find it. Or what if the Bible was someday just taken away from us? where we could not possess it anymore. You know, if we had lost our Bible, you may be like me, and you may have a large amount that you could choose from. And you may just simply just pick up another one that you may have at the house. Or if that would not be the case, to say today we lose our Bible means that we could almost immediately, if we so desired, to go somewhere rather quickly and receive another. Walmart sells Bibles. The Vineyard in Evansville, a Christian bookstore, sells Bibles. We can go to Barnes & Noble and buy a Bible. 
So they're readily available if we should lose one or misplace it. But that's not a luxury that everyone has. In fact, in the text today, which we're about to get to now in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we discover that true enough, the word of God has been lost, but yet found, which we'll explain when we get into that particular portion of the text. But with the word, or the book of the law, as we find is rediscovered in the text, as it's been lost, the nation Judah have been living then without God's word for a very long time. I cannot imagine ever having to live without the word of God. I hope we never have to have the word of God taken from us. It might become a reality in our time or our grandchildren's time, which is all the more reason we should memorize Scripture. But the Bible in the text today is lost, then found. There's some sadness, there's some rejoicing. But it leads us in a time together today where we can discover the power of the Word. Stand with me this morning as we do. To simply honor the reading, we're going to pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. We're going to leap down, not in the very beginning of the chapter, but in chapter 34, verse 8, and then read through verse 21. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 8. Now in the 18th year of his reign, that'd be Josiah, as who the king is now, it is Josiah. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites the keepers of the threshold had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all of Judah and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 10, they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stones and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men that did work faithfully over them were Jahath and Obadiah, the Levites, of the sons of Moriah, and Zechariah and Meshulam, of the sons of the Kohathites, to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with instruments and music, were over the burden bearers, and directed all who did work in every kind of service, and some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants, they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and they given to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Well, then, verse 18, Shaphan told the, told the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. 
And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Father, Lord, we come before you at this moment, Lord, asking you surely to bless the reading of the word. And direct us now, Lord, today about how we can understand truly the Bible is so special. It is so significant. It should play a major part in each of our lives. Lord, thank you for having given us your word. It gives us insight into you and the love you have for us. So we pray today, Lord, we understand this text, but also see how the Bible pertains to every component, every aspect of our life as a guide for us to live by and to source in all that we do. So thank you, Lord, for all we shall receive here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the text that we've read in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, we find the, about the book of the law of Moses being found. Now, where we start in verse 8, we see that it tells us that it is in the 18th year of Josiah, who is the king. But let us take a quick time out and become more familiar with Josiah. Because Josiah has a heritage when she's become the king. We would start with his great-grandfather, who was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the last king of Judah to actually honor the Lord. When Hezekiah became the king, he immediately tore down the high places of the pagan Baal worship. He destroyed the altars that had been erected to Baal and destroyed the Asherah. But Hezekiah, after he had died, it was given to his son, which had been Josiah's grandfather, which would have been Manasseh. Now Manasseh, when he became the king, again Josiah's grandfather, rebuilt all the worship to Baal. He erected the altars again. He had the Asherah. He did everything he possibly could to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now Manasseh, when he became king after Hezekiah, reigned for 55 years in Judah, leading the people into evil away from the Lord. Again, he erected the altar to Baal again and the Asherah. Everything that Hezekiah destroyed, his son, Josiah's grandfather, redid. But when Manasseh died, it left it into his son, Ammon. Now, Ammon wasn't king very long. He was only king two years in Judah. But he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, continuing the ways of his father Manasseh. So Josiah then has had this example have been set before him. His father Ammon did evil in the sight of the Lord. His grandfather Manasseh did more evil in the sight of the Lord. But his great-grandfather Hezekiah had done right with the Lord. So when Josiah becomes king, it's been 57 years between Manasseh, his grandfather, and Ammon, his father, it's been 57 years since they've had or followed 
the book of the law of Moses. 57 years they went out the word of God. Now, a lot can change in 57 years. For any of us who are 57 or greater in age, we have seen a lot of change in 57 years. I am 57, will turn 58 this year, and even in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of change that has occurred. So yeah, a lot can change in 57 years. So imagine how when Hezekiah was king, everything was done accordingly to the word of the law of God, the book of the law of Moses, and when everything changed immensely, when Hezekiah died and Manasseh and Amon became the king. So that's what Josiah is confront, be confronted with. And oh, by the way, let us not forget, as we think about Josiah, he was eight years old, but he became the king. At the beginning of this chapter, it tells us his age was eight. Now, in verse eight, it tells us the 18th year of his reign, which means he's now at the ripe old age of 26. Rather, still young, but growing in maturity. So notice then, as he grows in maturity, he has control of the nation. He's been leading it for 18 years, and now he's making a true attempt to go back to the Word of God. And we see that's true because he's restoring the temple. He had to make a lot of repairs to the temple. Look in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, it tells us that the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord were doing so for repairing and restoring the house. Verse 11 says they gave the money, the things to repair to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings because the previous kings, which we know as Manasseh and Ammon, had let it go to ruin. I mean, the temple needed more than just cleansing. It needed more than just a little vacuuming, a little dusting, didn't it? It was completely ruined by the previous kings, which was Josiah's father and grandfather. It had apparently fallen to the state of disrepair, as indicated by the need of carpenters and stonemasons. Manasseh and Ammon were seriously neglecting the temple, seriously leaving it to ruins, neglecting the temple the place of worship. So a little side note is introduced here for us to receive. That it just seems to always be the way that any neglecting of the word of God can almost always result in a church such as ours or the temple that was happening in that day or even any of our homes. A neglecting of the word in the home can result and complete disrepair, if it's going to be standing at all. I mean, that matter-of-fact point tells us that we need the Word to guide us, to direct us in every day part of our lives. We need it. Without the Word of God in our lives, it can lead us into a state of disrepair, whether it be the church, the temple, the home. We need it to lead us and to guide us. We need to lean upon it, allow it to direct every aspect of our life. But the Bible's guidance that it offers doesn't happen when it's neglected. The Bible's guidance that it gives to all of us in our lives that we need doesn't happen when it's just put on the shelf 
and left to collect dust. The Bible's guidance that we need for every day of our life, does that happen? We throw it in the back seat of the car and just leave it till next week. It doesn't happen at all when it is lost, which is the situation that's occurring here in Judah. But it doesn't remain lost. Fourthly, verse 14 reveals to us that, yeah, the repairing and cleansing was necessary, but the book of the law was found as they're doing repairing. Verse 14 says, while they were bringing out the money, they've been brought into the house of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given to Moses. He found it. Hallelujah, he found it. Now, as you hear that, as you're dissecting this text, a lot of people stop and say, okay, he found the book of the law of Moses. What is that? What did he find? Well, the general consensus is, for most scholars, he probably found Deuteronomy or a portion of it, or he may have found the entirety of the Pentateuch or the Torah, the law. That's what he could have found. We don't know exactly, but that's what most scholars believe that Hilkiah the priest found on the cleaning, repairing of the temple. The next most often question is, well, how did the book become lost in the first place? And the real answer there is no one knows. You may receive some answers, but no one really knows. It's only a matter of speculation. I mean, yeah, it could be true. It's certainly conceivable that during the threat of invasion from the Assyrians that back in his great-grandfather Hezekiah's time, that it could have been hidden. Or it could be that even during the time of Manasseh and Ammon, because they were destroying everything pertaining to the Word of God in the temple, erecting again the altar to Baal, that maybe someone didn't take a moment to hide the book of the law. But whatever case it may be, it's all speculation. It is lost. But then it is found. But let's think about that for just a moment, about how it can be possible. I mean, how truly is it possible that anyone, that situation or in today, how is it possible that anyone, any person could lose their Bible? How is it possible could lose what's most precious to us? Well, I guess it's possible that if we move from one state to the other, like I've done four times, then it could be packed away and we forgot where we packed it. I didn't mark the boxes. I get all these boxes, they go to the house, they didn't pack them, perhaps I lost or misplaced. Or it could just simply be misplaced when you don't move from one state to the other, but still move from one home to another. Or maybe it could be lost or misplaced by casually placing it somewhere where we just don't remember. Or maybe we leave it in the truck. I had a friend of mine when we was in Thailand on our mission trip back in 2013. His name was Jeff. Jeff carried his Bible with him everywhere we went. Now, the Bible we used in Thailand was actually a split Bible, which means we had on one side, we had the English version, and the other one was a Thailand version. It spoke in Thai so the people could receive it. It gave us a chance to read it on one page, gave them a chance to also read in their language on the other page. But he had the Bible he was carrying with him quite often. Our intention was to go as much as we could to Chiang Mai University and to witness to the students on campus. So we would often carry that Bible. He was the one who carried it the most. 
he had one that was most special to him. He began to mark with a highlighter certain scriptures. But one day when we got on the truck to go to the campus, actually the truck was a Toyota pickup truck with a camper shell on the back of it, old beat up thing, old version of a Toyota pickup truck. It was called a Song Tao in Thailand. And they'd pile about 20 people in the back of the truck. And we would go from one place to the other. Well, Jeff was in the truck, and we were going to Chiang Mai University. And as he got off at the university, he left it in the truck, forgot all about it. Later, he realized what he had done and went back to retrieve it, but it was already gone. So he misplaced or he lost it. And that's one way we could lose the Bible. But another possibility is this. A Bible can be lost through disregard, disobedience, or distortion. I mean, it's sad but true. I mean, that's not maybe actually losing my Bible, but the Bible then is being lost because it's disregard. It's just completely disobeyed. And then we distort the truth from within the Word. I come to think of it, that's probably how the Bible is truly lost today. That's happening in the world today where the Bible is completely disregarded. It is certainly disobeyed. And at times it is greatly distorted where people take a portion that they want out of context. Every Sunday, you see it each and every week. The children gather here or somewhere up here in front of us, and they have a message from some adult leader. The message begins always for all of us to witness right here in the sanctuary. But it does not stop there. The message they receive is only the beginning. As you notice, every week after they get their message time, another adult leader or the same adult leader will remove them from the room and they vacate back in the fellowship area and break up into small groups to receive more of the word, to receive more truth given to them. Why? Why would this special emphasis be placed upon giving these children a message here and then go back to get more as they are now with their adult leaders? Why would we place such emphasis upon that? Well, first, it teaches them the Word of God. They need to learn the Word of God. And secondly, it teaches them truth. It teaches them the truth that's found in the Word of God so that then the Bible cannot be some way later in life disregarded as it so happens to be today or distorted. They learn and memorize Scripture, and hopefully it is not disobeyed. They learn it. They are taught it at an early age to keep from having this to happen, to keep from having to be disregarded, disobeyed, or distorted. But it's not just on Sunday morning that this happens. On Wednesday evening, the same kind of thing happens. Ironically, or rather interestingly, a different group of kids come on Wednesday. Now, there's a regular group of kids that come, but even more come on Wednesday that you don't see here on Sunday mornings. So we do something very similar. We have our 5.30 meal of fellowship where the kids and the adults are eating together. At 6 o'clock, the kids leave the fellowship room, and they go with their leader again to their area here in the sanctuary or to another place, and they receive again the Word of God, just like they do on Sunday mornings, but it's a different group, so receiving some more information. Or that group that comes on Wednesday 
for the very first time. They're receiving the truth. They're learning the word. Because, again, we try to let our children know early in life about the word of God. So it is not lost through disregard or distortion and hopefully not disobey. The point is this. The earlier we can teach children that God's word is truth, the more likely the word, the Bible, will not be lost through any disregard or through any disobedience or through any distortion that could occur. It is all directly linked to Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way that he should go, and he's older, he will not depart from it. We need to teach the Bible. We need to teach the Word. We need to read it. We need to cherish it. We need to study it. Every one of us is God's holy Word. We should respect it, and we should honor it. We should keep it close. We should keep it nearby to wherever we are. Do not lose the word to disregard disobedience or distortion. Losing the word, losing the word of God, losing the Bible can result in a life without direction. Wandering about aimlessly. Which is actually what's happening then in Judah. But the good news is this. It is found. And when we refine our Bible again, we can do it by recognizing the truth. We can receive it. And we can cherish it. And that again was happening now in Judah. Go back to the text. Again, the book of the law, most likely the Torah, or portion of Deuteronomy has been found. Verse 14. While they're bringing out the money, they've been brought into the house of the Lord. Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. In verse 15, Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I think there should be explanation there. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Leave down to verse 18. Then Shaphan told the secretary, told the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. Now, we stopped there for a moment because I want us to do this. I want to put ourselves in the text, in our situation today, remove ourselves from the current environment, and go to that day and that time. Put yourself immediately into the text. Put yourself in a situation that exists in the day of Josiah being the king. I mean, as you're living that day and time, first and foremost, you're probably amazed as such a youngster like Josiah, who became king at the age of eight, amazed at the action of such a young person who seems to be truly dedicated to repairing the temple. I mean, if you're living at that time, you're witnessing some of the very things to occur that we don't want to ever happen. The destruction of the temple, the disrepair that exists. Maybe you're living then, you're thinking to yourself, look, it's been 57 years. Wow, it's been 57 years, and Josiah is finally doing something. He's so much better than his father and his grandfather. He's tr finally trying to do something. So, I mean, now we finally have a king who's trying to return to the God 
and repair the temple. As you're thinking that, you may even think to yourself, I wish we had a copy of the book of the law of Moses. You've been living 57 years without it. Actually, it's the 18th year of Josiah as the king. So add 18 on the 57, you get what? 75 years without the book of the law, without a copy of the word of God. So surely you're thinking, I wish somehow, some way we had one. I can't imagine going 75 years let alone seven and a half minutes without the Bible. So as you're in that time processing all this, all of a sudden you hear somebody say, I found it. Imagine then leaving that time, finding the book of the law of Moses after 75 years, been none. I mean, there must have been at that moment a mixture of sadness and probably immense joy. I mean, sadness from not having it around for so long. And even in verse 21, which tells us that after refining it, of the wrath that could occur from not following it. So you have sadness maybe from not having it or from the wrath that could occur, as verse 21 seems to suggest, or, again, the mixture of just joy. Joy in finally having a version, a copy of the book of the law. A joy that must exist when you find something so much that you can find treasure from, which they haven't had. Not so long ago, there was people who found a portion of the Bible in its original form at the caves of Qumran. They were digging, they were going about excavating, and they found these cherished manuscripts in the caves of Qumran. But when they found these original manuscripts, mostly of Deuteronomy and Isaiah, the scholars who found them were completely ecstatic. They were totally overjoyed at what they had discovered, what they had found. So here then, as I try to relate that to what's happening with Josiah and Hilkiah and finding the book of the law of Moses, I go back to the text and I see that when the king did hear it, when he finally heard it, when he saw it, when he laid his eyes up on it, or he got to hear it, look what happens in reaction in verse 19. When the king heard the words, when he saw it, when he heard it, he tore his clothes. The King James says he rent his clothes. Rent means to tear. He tore his clothes when he heard the law being read to him once more. I mean, why tear your clothes? I mean, the tearing of one's garments back in that day was a sign of great distress that took place in a variety of troubled circumstances, like upon death and grief or blasphemy. And Josiah, then his reaction when Shaphan and Hilkiah bring him and he hears the words, his reaction is to tear his clothes. Like perhaps he'd been grieving over so long of not having that cherished possession of the Word of God. How do we react 
somehow we've gone a period of time without the word of God. How do we react? Will we be sad because we've maybe not had it to read or cherish it in a while? Will we be overjoyed when we finally get it to receive it once more? Will we rent and tear our clothes like Josiah? Perhaps in a way of grieving that we somehow lost or misplaced it or wasn't reading it regularly or of study. It's an interesting reaction we find from Josiah. It makes us kind of contemplate how we would react if we somehow misplaced or lost ours. But soon Josiah composed himself. I mean, he, he demanded then as he tore his clothing, we also go back to the text and see that he demanded his priest inquire of the Lord and give him further information about what it required, what the law required. Verse 18, again, Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, to give me a book. It's not just a book. Shaphan read from it before the king. The king, of course, tore his clothes when he heard it. But he told them, go inquire the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah. I mean, he wanted to know what the word said. I mean, Shaphan began to read it. He had a few passages perhaps he gave to the king. Again, we've already mentioned how the king tore his robes in response to hearing it. Then he issued a command in verse 20 and verse 21 for the entire text to be studied. So that the mind of the Lord could be ascertained into what they should do. Essentially, when it was found, Josiah's chief concern was that his ancestors, which we know was his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh, that they had maybe incurred God's anger because they allowed it to be lost and misplaced. And now when it's rediscovered, they may have to incur the wrath of God. And all that really, what we observed, then we're left really with the observation that Josiah now, upon hearing, perhaps receiving the word of God, is doing anything he possibly can to honor, to go back to honoring the word of God and to bring it back as a priority. It had not been for 75 years. And now it's found he wants to hear it. He wants to know it. He wants to go back to making it a priority. There is an important message in these verses. I mean, it's easy to see that these verses, the text we're looking at this morning, that we're examining, reveals the importance of the word and honor and how we should keep it, how we should honor it. But also then besides that, reveals for us a couple of lessons for us to consider, to apply directly to our lives. I mean, the first lesson to consider is this. I mean, how a nation, this is Judah. We're the United States of America. But how blessed are we to have available the Word of God? And then how further should we be blessed if we should truly honor and keep the Word of God? We live by far in the greatest nation on earth, none like the United States of America. But unfortunately, we are a nation that no longer puts the Word of God first. This becomes so evident by everything we see happening in our lives. I mean, first, they removed the Bible from schools. They removed prayer from schools. And with the Ten Commandments nowhere in a government place. 
They try to move anything possible to written to the word. I mean, listen, we're still a blessed nation. Yes, we are still a blessed nation. But imagine how blessed we could be if God and his word became first. We're the most blessed nation on this planet. But as much as we are blessed, spoiled in our country, I believe we could be more blessed if we put God back as a priority. Many people believe today that our country is so in need of revival. That's something, interestingly, that we have not talked about. In the two years I've been here at Crossroads, we haven't talked a lot about how our country needs revival. But when we begin to think about it, when we begin to truly reflect upon the status of our country, the great division that seems to be existing in our country, the increase we have in violent crimes, particularly in hate crimes, School shootings, which fortunately we hadn't heard a lot of those lately. And the dramatic decrease in church attendance nationwide, which leads then in church closures. If all that's happening, I begin to realize that maybe we should be talking about it more. Because we truly do need revival in this country. Yeah, we're blessed. But imagine how more blessed we could be if we made God and his word first. In fact, we could just word it this way, that we need a great push in our country to return to honoring the word. Now, I say that, and I also recognize this, that, yeah, we, we are not the lone rangers in this. I mean, I look at the entire world, and I see how the entire world then is leaving the word of God and not making it the priority that it should be. Yeah, I mean, there's other countries like us, maybe, that are doing the same thing, leaving the word of God. I can think of Britain to be one. England, certainly. But we live in a glass house. And we are self-destructing within. So we don't need to point any fingers or throw any rocks at other countries. When we ourselves are not, as a country, honoring the Word of God. And I think it's fair then to say that for things to get better, for us to be truly blessed as we could be, there must be a return to the Word of God. Now, I say that, let me also say this then. As a church, we're starting to do our part. We're recognizing the children of the future. That's the next generation that need to have the Word of God. We're educating them. Not just our children, but we're educating all the other adults. We emphasize the importance of the Word of God. There's a lot of power in the Word. We have Sunday school. We have Wednesday study. We have all these things available. In a world that no longer places any significance in the word, we still honor, we still keep it here, we teach, we preach the word of God. Because so many times today, the Bible is just sadly neglected, disregarded, distorted, or perhaps even just thrown away. I think I've used that illustration with you before. It's the best illustration possible to show how the world treats the word of God. That up on seminary when I was in Texas, not the one I'm attending now, but at Southwestern, we had assignments to go out into the community to witness to people at various locations. One of them happened to be they went to a Taco Bell. Going into Taco Bell, the people found a Bible 
that was left on the table. They watched. The people who were going out in the community watched. The people who found it, the worker at Taco Bell found a copy of the Bible, perhaps accidentally left in Taco Bell in Fort Worth, Texas. He goes to pick up the Bible, the person working in Taco Bell, makes some sort of effort to walk around to find if any of the patrons there had the Bible they would misplaced. All the patrons there said, no, it's not my Bible. So what did he do with it ultimately? The person at Taco Bell who found the Bible walked over the trash can and threw it away. There's a complete disregard of the world to the Bible. They don't honor it. They don't keep it. They don't obey it. Our country, we are blessed, but we need, we need revival. And we need to go back to keeping and honoring the Word of God. For things that get better, it's not bad, but for things that get better, there must be returned to the Word and make it the priority. That's one lesson we can receive from what we find here in the text pertaining to Josiah and the Word of God being found. The second lesson is this. It comes from the words of scholar Keith Brooks. That when man finds the Word, the Word finds man and reveals to him his true condition. Now think about that. When man finds the word, the word finds man and reveals to him his true condition. Josiah is a very young man, but he knew even at his age that God had not been honored by his nation, not by his father, not by his grandfather. Yeah, his great-grandfather did it, but not for a long time. And he knew it had to change. So it's fair to say that Josiah was greatly touched by the finding of the word, and consequently he knew his nation needed to go back to honoring it, keeping it something had to change. He realized the true condition in which they were living. He realized upon hearing the word the true condition in which he was living. Now I ask you, isn't that always the case? Isn't it always the case that our true condition has to be realized before we can actually process a change in life? In every aspect of life that happens. And Josiah began to realize that they were not living according to the word of God. They found it. And then you go back to realizing their condition, something had to change. Something had to change. So he goes back to honoring it and keeping it. He realized the state of the condition of his country once the word of God was found. I'll make a parallel that to our lives then of our salvation. Doesn't our true sinful condition, our life, need to be realized before we can truly change? When it comes to salvation, the saying is this, that you cannot bring someone to Christ until you show them their need for Christ. Also, it goes to say that someone cannot be saved for their sins until they realize that they are a sinner. Or someone cannot be found until they realize that they're lost. A person's true condition must be realized before any change can truly occur. 
A person's true condition must be realized before any change can truly occur. That it happens to be for us as individuals and for a country such as Judah, England, or the United States of America. We must realize our condition and realize we must change. Now, spiritually in our lives, we're blessed to have one who's taken our sin. We need to realize, first and foremost, that we're sinners, that we're lost, so we can be found. I mean, the best part of perhaps what we're talking about this evening or this morning is that if we should hardly receive the word of God, it can lead to that cleansing, the consecration, the continuance in the ways of God. The word of God can do that, but here's the thing. So can Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can cleanse us. We can lead to consecration and we can lead to continuing the ways of God through Christ. The Holy Spirit reveals to us a need for a Savior as we realize the condition in which we're living. And when that begins to occur in our lives, if we receive Jesus, it leads to that cleansing and forgiveness and renewal and eventually maybe even revival that we'd need not just in the country, but in our very lives. It starts with the Word of God. It's the power of the Word. There is power in the Word. It can lead us to realize we need change. Let's accept the fact that we're sinners and we need change. We need Jesus. Father, thank you, Lord, for deceiving this morning and the Word we received from Josiah what happened to him in his life. We make a parallel, Lord, to our lives, recognizing that perhaps we do some way neglect the word. Maybe we need this message to give us some sort of awakening to how we need to receive it, to keep it, to honor it, to obey it. So for that, then, we're thankful for this message to receive today because it leads us in the right frame of mind. So I pray, Lord, as we get ready to reflect upon the message that you'll speak to us. We invite your Holy Spirit now, Lord, to lead us and direct us and to guide us. To reflect upon what we've heard today pertaining to your word, to your son Jesus. I pray, Lord, we realize the condition in which we're living. And turn to renew ourselves through your word and through your son. We submit ourselves, Lord, to you now and surrender to you. Again, thank you for this message, Lord. Work within us now for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.